So Ken, really, really excited to be speaking to you today about one of our secret babies of what we call skunk works in HR. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes, very original, very unique to Unilever that it could set up a business like this. Before we get back in, first, just share a little bit of your background. I'm um, I'm speaking to you from my farm, uh, and I've got my collection of of classic Porsches just down the uh, down the stables there, uh, and I've made enough money to retire. But but here I am working for Lean and Air, uh, being being driven by a woman with a whip uh, to create a new business for Unilever. Um, uh, so there must be something odd about me. I think it's because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm so pleased that so many other people are going to experience this in their career now. When, when I was young, it wasn't fashionable to be this kind of person who wanted to create new things and set up a new business and take risks and, and change the world. It wasn't. It, people wanted to do things which were much more I don't know, stable, secure, and it was going to look after you for 30 or 40 years. Uh, I never wanted to do that. So my career has been, I was lucky. I started, I wasn't lucky. It was 79 when I graduated. It was Margaret Thatcher's recession. I worked in the docks. I worked in a car factory for two years. I got my, my break then working in marketing at 3M. And then, then it took off, went to the London Business School on a leadership development course, and then thought, I'm going to set up my own business. That was when I was 30. And here I am, 64, uh, and I have uh, experienced, what, six liquidity events, one IPO, uh, five trade sales, and now I'm running a Unilever subsidiary. It's just been such a blast. It's uh, been a, a great career. And I'm going out. On, this will be the last one, I promise. This this is my, my promise to my wife. This is the last business I'm going to set up. I'm going out on the best one uh, because who who could turn down the offer to be the CEO of a Unilever tech spin out startup company? Yeah, if, if that comes on your plate, you're going to eat it, aren't you? So so that's a bit of my background. I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, startup person. Um, uh, I've done it the conventional way and now I'm doing it in a global multinational working for you, Lena. Fabulous, Ken. I've been called three things today, uh, a dragon, a Beyonce of HR, and lady with a whip. <laughs> I think we're going to take bets on, on uh, you know, what sort of suits me best. <laughs> but you've added to the list. You know, uh, Ken, um, I just wanted to share a little bit about how the planets got aligned in what mm -hmm was happening with our award systems, yeah. in your presence, and a little bit of my ambition. I was very, very keen that we bring tech and digital into everything we do in HR. And Peter was responding marvelously by putting into place, our then house of, uh, Peter Newhouse, then uh, head of reward, was putting into place all these systems that allowed us to do more with reward. Uh, I remember also having an ambition for HR becoming a revenue center. You know, it's yep. you know, always the expense center, the cost center. Everything in HR seems like, uh, you know, one more cost thing. Anything you do for people doesn't feel like an investment, feels like a cost, at least in the way the traditional PL account is created. Yeah, that's the stereotype. I was always keen to have HR be the front end of something that's revenue making. Mm -hmm. And then you came along 
And you sort of said, hey, you know what? The thing you're trying to create technologically and digitally does not exist outside. This platform you're trying to make in-house doesn't mm-hmm. exist anywhere else. Wouldn't it be cool to see if we could be in service of others with the same needs? So, so that's my sort of memory of what I call the planets getting aligned or things coming together, which you didn't predict earlier. Tell me your version of events. <laughs> yeah, you're, it's pretty close to yours. So it probably goes back a little further because it's for longer ago than you think that Peter first came to Unilever, looked at this enormous bill for people, this investment that Unilever makes in its very talented people. It runs at about six billion euros a year. And like every other global multinational, it's not one thing. You can't go to one system and get a breakdown of it by employee or business unit. Reward is divided in its salary, it's fixed, it's benefits, it's pensions, it's shares, um, it's flexible benefits. You acquire new companies, the systems don't talk to each other. So if you want to actually analyse that, and understand where you're spending money. If you want to optimize it, your first job is to get it in one place so you can see it all. And, and Peter asked about it, it wasn't there. Um, uh, you can't consolidate it. And so Peter went to buy a system and found there wasn't one. Yeah. And and actually, I, I'll show you this. I, I've got it in front of me. This is a market survey report we've just done of 300 global multinationals. And we the first question on there is, have you got a real-time reward system which has all of the rewards, all types of reward for all employees in all countries, in all companies. Has your business got one of those? Because Unilever has and and 97% have not. It's just astonishing. We, we've got a sector here which is spending so much money um, and it's not digitised at all. Sure, data is held digitally in different places, but it's not integrated, it's not converted, consolidated. You can't do much with it. So why not? Because it's so hard. Anybody with any intelligence would have thought, leave it to somebody else to do first. You know, Unilever, though, when Peter was there, it was, it was his view was, well, Unilever's got lots of money, we'll do it. And the project was started, classic IT project started, Vendors said, yes, you can do that, you know, with their fingers crossed behind their back. A year into it, it wasn't going very well, um, you know, overspent, a bit late. And that was when I was invited in because that's my background. It was like, review the project, tell us what to do. And I thought, mm, usually you have to tell people to throw it away yes. or, or start again, go to your lawyers. Actually, what I saw here was a great project with a great piece of technology they just underestimated how hard it was so what we did was bring the two the vendor which at that time was xerox and unilever together and said let's just join these two teams let's make it one project said no division between the supplier and the client none of this contract variation negotiation no change orders we just work as a team and we will we will get this out and we did and then uh, Peter and you said, would you stay on as the chairman of the project, which I did for five or six years. And then you said, well, we need to rewrite it in modern architecture. And you you saw what that was going to cost. And that was the point where I said, if you're going to do that, then sell it to other companies. There's still nothing on the market. And that was when we started the second great journey, which was how do you. So you've already developed an enterprise system and with you 
Peter Graham, Pitt Kessley, Unilever's CFO, uh, and a bunch of other people in Unilever, we stood the world upside down and got this business set up. It was it, it took a year because we were doing something completely new and against the culture of the business, but we set up a digital tech startup in one of the world's most respected biggest global multinationals. It's, it's incredible. And now, now I've just come off the phone this morning to Microsoft, where you know we have been we've been authorized as a enterprise software partner. And this morning, there's three levels, you know, bronze, silver, gold. This morning, we were told you've gone straight to gold. Yeah, we. we, we I didn't even sister, know that. <laughs> it's just it was so exciting to hear because it's a recognition of like years and years of work. But it also says to the rest of the world, this is such a high quality system and, and it's doing something which is so important. Managing reward, you know, reward mm, to, to me, something that's really important. I know it is to you, Lena, is pay equity, fair pay, making sure that the organization is rewarding people appropriately and fairly and honestly. I just don't see how you can do that without a digital reward system. I really can't. And, and we're bringing that to the market. So, um, so great news. Yeah, we set up. A, we, but tell we, me more about this Microsoft accreditation. What does this mean? Uh, what right, is it okay. gold? Yeah. What does it mean? We've got an application. We understand what business users want in HR and reward. Microsoft wants to have more partners who are developing systems. Um, for business users based on their tech. Yep. So of course the big the big platform Microsoft uh, is pushing and it's 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 um, uh, fueling its growth is Azure. Our system runs on Azure. In fact, one of the one of the most important decisions we took was we're just going to use Microsoft for everything in in the build. Uh, so we run up we run on Azure uh, Active Directory for our access and security is on something like this. Sensitive information is absolutely fundamental. We, of course, make use of Office. Power BI is our reporting environment. You know that we developed a recognition system. We developed a recognition system for Unilever this year in less than two months. Yes, well, that's because like we use Microsoft Power Apps. Yes. So choosing Microsoft as a um, a set of building tools and architecture was um, was really we're never going to do anything else. It's the obvious thing to do. But now, when we go to Microsoft and say, "Please, uh, we'd like to be a partner," and they get their their checklist out, it's like tick, 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 tick. You've done it all right. Yeah, it's it was just green lights the whole way through. What does it mean for us now? Well, we get badges, you know, Microsoft approved, Microsoft partner. Uh, but we will also uh, get uh, Microsoft sales team uh, co-selling with us. So introducing us to Microsoft clients. Um, Microsoft will have already, we've been talking about this morning, want to do customer case study. So I've, I've already promised your time uh, for that, Lena. <laughs> so you'll be on camera again. Uh, so joint marketing as well. And, I, and I've also volunteered us to talk to other big global companies like Unilever <clears throat> because I think they've all got what you had, which was incredible IP and value in-house 
and imagination and creativity happening in places you don't expect it to happen. You know, expect new things to come out of R&D. You don't expect it to come out of HR, but it did. So that that means what do you do? Ignore it? Or do you say, actually, this was really innovative. This could change the world. It's new. I don't care if it came out of HR. We've got a duty to the shareholders to extract value wherever we create it. So we're going to create a business out of this. I think Microsoft can go to their other clients and say, have you got systems which you've developed internally, which were one-offs? Why don't you set up internal venture businesses like Unilever has? Because that level of innovation doesn't just come from tech startups externally. You, you do these things internally and, and everybody wants to be Mm. Um, an innovator now, don't they? Everybody wants to work in a small team, creating something new. Um, so why not encourage that? So we can take our story to Microsoft clients and, and tell that the business startup story too. And, and and I think it's been, I hope you agree. I'll let you speak in a minute. <laughs> I hope you agree. It's been a learning, a learning exercise for Unilever too. I hope you think we didn't realise we could do it, but we have. And now we're going to do it again. Why spend billions acquiring startups when you can create your own startup mentality internally and give people that freedom and encouragement um, and, and the unity of a resource to, to start new things internally? Yeah, Absolutely. And don't just look from R&D. There yeah. you go. No, no, very well said, Ken. And I do think it's teaching us a hell of a lot of skills. It combines the strength of Unilever, which is the scale, which is its reputation. It's wanting to do the right thing, purpose-oriented agenda, and yeah. brings the agility and the speed and the risk-everything, failure mindset of a startup. So I think it's a, it's teaching, it's taught me hell of a lot and it's taught everyone associated with the project so much and continues to teach us. Because also this was born in our view of the world. Our view of the world is that uh, issues of fairness and social justice will become more important, which means yeah. things like uh, gender pay equity, racial pay equity, <laughs> living wages, which we've already committed to the world to do, will become more important. It is our view of the world that life uh, that people will work in more flexible ways, that the old traditional models of employment have broken, where everybody puts, you know, 40-hour weeks, 40 weeks in a year, 40 years with one company. Those models are broken. And you know what? COVID has shown us that we were right. Yes. Because yes. it just yeah. accelerated the future forward. So for me, Uflex is so much on trend because it's speaking to all the social justice things we believe in, It's speak, which is our sense of purpose. It's speaking to flexibility, which is the new norm for employee experience. And it's speaking to digital digital first, which is the mindset all of us needs to be in. So it yeah, ticks so all the boxes for me. Exactly. Unilever is so well placed for this. Now, it, it, it was a revolution that was a long while coming. We were talking about it years ago. And then COVID is tragic, but it's come along and it's taught us that we can change quickly. Nobody thought we would, so many people would be working from home this time last year. Yet by the end of March last year, we discovered we could do it. I think business now realizes it can it can make big, massive changes. And I think what you're talking about with flexible contracts, that equals flexible rewards. 
and I've described how disparate and scattered reward systems are in big global multinationals. Uh, my, my message to anybody who's in your seat in a big global multinational is don't try and do what Unilever are doing until you've digitized reward because you will just end up in a chaos of spreadsheets. So by digitizing reward, there's no limit to the creativity that you can put on personalized rewards for people. But if you do that, you've stepped outside of a structured framework, the grade and job description framework. And that is the framework we use for pay equity comparisons and pay ratios. So if you've personalized everything, if you made every job a cocktail of skills, then it's really hard to compare one unique job with another and one unique pay scheme with another for anybody else but Unilever, because we've digitized reward. And to me, it's just a, it's just a data query. Yeah, I, 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 it, Unilever can do it, whereas other companies can't. Yeah. So digitize, you know, don't yeah. leave reward out there on its own in, in these legacy systems. You know, so we're evangelists. Yeah. It is. But <laughs> it's an I. important thing because it should save hours for people working in HR and mm. reward and line leaders. Because that's what inspires me, that if we can make their life easier, because they find it easier to find reward information, find easier to report on reward, that's fantastic. Saving hours, making their life simple and effortless has to be one of the goals. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you more productivity from reward, uh, uh, but also, as you know, we're always talking about it, aren't we? It, it's giving employees what employees need to feel valued by the company. Yeah, yeah. so what we're talking about now is, You've got the tools to go and personalize. It will come at that new landscape of work, uh, and employees will be happier for it. You know, so so, but you have to make an investment in technology first. So we check what we're actually doing is using technology to change the world. Yeah, the right the right right way round. You've got to get your technology in place first, then change the world. Don't don't rush out there with your big idea and then think well. Now you need to administrate it. You know, yeah. people, people, people like me then have nervous breakdowns because you can't design these systems overnight. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're you're well set up at Unilever. That, that that's what we're doing here. So, how has it been, Ken, when you talk to clients and do your pitch? What's easy? What's difficult? What do they buy into? What do they not? Tell us a little more. That's, yeah. So uh, I've done this four or five times over the last. Oh God, probably nearer 30 years and 25 years. You know, a whole new class of system. There wasn't one before. It's like you're going to a caveman and, and showing the caveman this is a rifle and put your bow and arrow away or something. Yeah, it's They like the bow and arrow um, and they don't believe that a rifle is ever going to work. Yeah, so you're, you're out there trying to do something which nobody else does and people feel safety in numbers. So you know it's going to be hard. Um, what's been different about going with that message in Uflex Reward is uh, people like you and Peter and Constantina can ring up your mates and say, why don't you talk to Ken? So yeah. I get in the door. Yeah, we, we've had no problem getting to see prospective clients. And, and in just over a year, bear in mind, six months after startup, the whole world locked down. That was quite quite a shock um, bear in mind that um we've done we've got 71 prospects through to what i will call level three in the enterprise sales cycle yeah so they've had 
number of first meetings, we've had a demo, they like the demo, then we get to level three, which is a, we call it a pilot. Actually, what we do in a pilot is just say, here's our system, play with our system. Yeah, so you, you can use it, you can do what you want with it. It's got our data in it, um, see what you think. That's level three. Level four is evaluation, which is, we will put your data in our system. Your data equals employee details, reward policies, reward data. It's yeah. about as radioactive as you can get that kind of information. Yeah. So we do really well up to level three. Evaluation, at that point, the alarm bells go off. Uh, procurement, legal, IT security, data security, everybody gets involved because you can't risk having a data breach with that kind of information. So what we're actually doing is like so out of 71, uh, I can't remember now, I can I can tell you how many people we've got through uh, to the, the sort of level four, level five is business case, level six is contract. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're at 14 who are between level four and level six. Um, enormous out, amount of work involved in selling enterprise software. Okay. I know big organisations have adopted the language of agile, but if I was to show you how long it takes a big company to sell to buy an enterprise IT system, you would see something which has a timeline of well between between twelve and twenty four months. Yeah, because somebody has the idea, then you do some research. Yeah, then you initiate a project. Then you've got to build a business case that you take to financial approval. Then you get approval. Then you get a budget. You can't spend the budget this year. Yeah. You spend it next year. Next yeah. year comes along. Then you do six months of evaluating software vendors. You shortlist to two. Then you do contract negotiation. You're lucky to actually put functionality in people's hands within two years. Yeah. One uh, last question for you, Ken, before I ask you your favorite book from these massive number of books behind you. But I can see James has his hand up too. James, you wanted to ask something? Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation so much. I thought, let me jump in. <laughs> Go for it. It's a, it's a question to both of you, actually. And, and I guess so starting with Lena and then coming to Ken. You know, Lena, if, if, if I was a regular person in a big company like Unilever, and I'm a, I'm a regular person somewhere, and I, I, I really want to start something like, like a, a business within, within my organization, as a senior leader, what, how should I pitch to you? What, what is it that you would be looking for? Um, because I, you know, I think it's, it's useful for our audience to know the exact kind of steps to, to get started. And then yeah. the flip side of that for Ken is, you know, what, what do you think would be useful skills and experiences to come with um, before you do that pitch um, into with a senior leader like Lena? Mm -hmm. You first, Lena. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I look for is a little bit of what I would say madness. Yeah, <laughs> with due respect to you, Ken. Uh, I would okay. look for that, um, uh, you know, madness or a sparkle in the eye, which shows a passion for the idea, the relentlessness that needs to go with hanging in with that idea. I would I would look at whether the person has done some research on what is the need he or she is trying to satisfy. What is the problem he's or she is trying to solve? So I would say first focus on the problem you're trying to solve for the people you're trying to solve it for. 
and then have that passion, the zeal, the the twinkle in your eye, the sparkle in your eye that tells me that you believe in this so deeply, that you're willing to risk a lot to get this going. I I I think that's a great answer, and and I, if I was Lena, that's what I'd be saying as well. That, that, so listen listen carefully to that. That that's absolutely true. That's the way you've got to go along, and you can learn that. You're not just born with it. You can learn how to do that. From the, the answer from my side is I've, I've worked a lot with VCs. Yeah, so I've worked a lot raising money for in the traditional way uh, for startups. And you talk to anybody who is a VC and, they'll, and you say, well, what do you invest in then? And 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 people come to me with their product ideas and, you know, they want me to sort of, um, you know, I know, shake holy water on them and, and tell them it's great. Uh, 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 it's not the idea. The idea isn't as important as you, the person. VCs always say this. We invest in people, not ideas. Yeah. Everybody's got a good idea who comes here, but we invest in the people we think are going to do it. So you need that passion. Yeah. Even better if you've done it before, because then you've got a track record. Obviously, everybody who does this did it once for the first time. So you've got to do your homework. You've got to be able to answer any question. You've really got to be on the ball with the obvious things. But you you, you have to be a person that other people believe in. Yeah. And, and you have to be willing to take risks. You have to put yourself out there. You've got to be willing to face rejection. Yeah. Now. What was the key thing that worked at Unilever? It was it was the same thing the other side. In Lena and Graham, we had two really senior exec executives who wanted to hear new stories and were willing to take risks and decide quickly. They were the two easiest meetings we had. They were like half hour meetings of, yeah, go and do it. And then beneath that are lots of other people who make you turn circles, somersaults, you know, jump through flaming hoops. They they made made us work harder. But Lena and Graham, it, 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 Lena and Graham was like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, do it. Go and do it. Yeah. And of course, whenever I see Lena, it's then, have you done it yet? I said, oh, Lena, just give me a chance. <laughs> Ken, patience is not one of my virtues. I'm trying no, hard. That's good. I'm no, meditating a lot nowadays. I'm hoping it builds some patience. <laughs> yeah. Impatience is a virtue. <laughs> you know, uh, Ken, so what's your favorite book? We are on our last question. What's from this? There's, there are so many. Yeah, I, I tell you what, it's. Um, what should I be reading? Yeah. Okay. It's this one here, Lena. Ah, I know you've got it because I sent it to you. Yes, you sent it to me. Lovely, <laughs> lovely book. I, I love it because it talks about how work has become too dominated by cognitive um ability and we need to mind, find more time and space in our hearts minds and reward for people who work with their hands people who work on craft and people who work with their heart so in the care industry where it might not be very skilled well it's skilled in a different way you know you don't have to go to cambridge and get a phd to be a yeah. nurse or yeah. a carer in a care home um, but you do a really important job. So this book is about how we need to find more time and space and money for people outside of the, you know, the super brains that we all are. So I, I, it's yeah, thank it's you so much. Hand and Lovely Heart book. by David Goodhart. 
There you go. A lovely book, and he sent a lovely message, especially saying some nice words about you as well, Ken. He did. And, yes. uh, uh, you know, and so timely. We've seen the power of hearts. Yes. I mean, where would we be without our frontline staff, without our caring staff, without people who've taken the brunt of battling COVID on our behalf, people who've delivered to our homes, people who've looked after our, uh, you know, aged parents. Oh my God, people in hospitals. So, I think it's a prophetic book. It has shown us the importance of hand yeah. and yeah. heart. Yeah. But I've read all the others. <laughs> I see, here's some. Do you know they're all I've got? This is how bad nerdy I am. Um, they're all in a library system. They're all catalogued. And if I lent you a book, I would give you a date to return it by and fine you if you didn't. <laughs> and how many books do you have? Uh, oh, it's thousands. It's not. It's they're all every wall in this room. They go up the stairs. They're they're in the lounge. They're, they're everywhere. They're, they're it's a Give me a ballpark number. Is it like a thousand or five thousand? Give me a ballpark number. How many books? About do you two thousand. <clears throat> very oh, little. Nice. Very little fiction. It's nearly all reference work. So th this is about inequality and poverty. This shelf. This shelf here is about projects. This shelf is about lying. It, oh. The technical books are like. Cicela Bock, Professor Cicela Bock, a Harvard uh, philosophy professor, wrote the definitive book online. Because if you work in business, you hear so many lies. So I thought, I want to find out what what what's the mechanics of a lie. So you know, just, I know I know the classification system. They're great. The books are my you know after my dog. My, my books are my best friends. <laughs> and Ken, I'll be waiting to have a glass of champagne when we have got our first signee. It's not going to be long, Lena, and, and I will take great delight in joining you in that. Yes. Yes, you yes. will be opening that bottle of champagne while I drink it. <laughs> I really look forward to that. I presume that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lovely talk. So, thank you, Lena. Great fun. Not at all. Yeah. Thank you so much.